So I wanted to start by thanking the people who are in service um, this morning, Joan Coletto, Sharon Uselman, Mariana Gesme, her first time on pulpit, she rocked it, and Chris Houston. So five years ago, I was going through kind of a tough time in my life. My mom was having some really serious neurological issues, and we couldn't find anyone to take care of her while we were all at work, and so we were having to take a lot of time off of work, and eventually she ended up having surgery, and we had to put her in a nursing home because we couldn't find people to care for her. And at the same time, the person who I thought was the love of my life, who I was having this idyllic relationship with, decided that he was going to check out. I mean, we're still sort of in a relationship, but he wasn't really showing up for it. So there was just a lot of drama. And on top of all of that, one of the people in my family was kind of having a mental issue. He had a little bit of a breakdown. And my dog... Marilyn is her name, Um, she was picking up on everybody's stress, and she gets this hot spot on her tail, so my nephew decides to shave her tail, and she bit the end of her tail off. And I was like, is there really anything else that could happen right now? You know, I mean, and then you take your dog to the vet, the vet's like, what the heck happened? How does a dog bite its tail off, you know, so... It was just really a lot, but I kind of think of that period of my life as like I was going through my trials of Job at that time. And, you know, I'm sure some of you can relate to the story, like you've had a time in your life where you're just like, really, could anything else go wrong right now? Or maybe that's the time you're going through right now, and you're just overwhelmed, and it's really hard to see how God's in it or how there could be any plan whatsoever to what's happening in your life right now. And so, you know, the story of Job in the Bible, the metaphysical interpretation, is that Job was a righteous man who revered God. And what that meant at that time was that he really followed the laws of the, um, of the church. And he lived in a land called Uz, which means um, it signifies the process by which we seek truth in our life. So it was the consciousness that he was living in. But the people around him were really wrapped up in their material lives. Um, It's said that they were really focused on the physical plane and fulfilling their desires, which, you know, hey, that's the world we all live in, isn't it, today? And so, you know, Job was really here to fulfill a different purpose. He was here to move into a world of inner awareness, inner knowing. And so we are also called to do the same thing here. That's why we're here at Bodhi. We're called to go into a deeper awareness of this part of us which is eternal, which Mariana read about in the reading. And so Job was this righteous guy, and he, though, like us, was often afraid, and he would worry. But he really wanted to go deeper in his life, and so he prayed to God, make all things right with me which signified that he was ready for his next phase of spiritual growth. And it's interesting how God answered Job's prayer. He made a wager with Satan to test Job. Now, the way that we look at this story historically is like God was punishing Job, or Job was a victim, or whatever, but there's really a deeper part of that story, and that is that the things that happen in our life are to help us um, really deepen spiritually. So we need to look deeper into the story of what's going on. And, you know, the real question for us is how do we respond to the tests that life gives us? So our reading this morning was from this thing called You, which if you've never read that book, it's probably my favorite Ernest Holmes book because it's really approachable. And it really gives you this sense of, 
You know, there's a deeper, infinite, eternal part of ourselves. And Ernest calls it this thing called you. So that's the eternal part of us. So what I'm going to talk about today is um, from Psalms 46.10, and it's Be Still and Know. And the context of this psalm is really about dealing with difficulties in our life and just being still and knowing God within that. And we know that we can't solve our problems from our limited human perspective, so it's really just an invitation to know God, to know God as our source, to know that God can meet our needs, and it's really an invitation to know our true nature. So be still comes from the Hebrew word meaning to let go or to release, and we might call that surrender in our lingo. But it's really letting go of being in control, letting go of what you expect your life to look like, just letting go of being the one to control it and letting God do it. And we also often interpret being still as being quiet, you know. Um, But a funny definition I found of be still on a Christian website was shut up. I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) Shut up and know that I am God. But if we look at it that way, you know, we could be thinking about our minds. You know, I don't know if anybody besides me is this way, but sometimes my mind is just moving. Like, how do I figure this out? You know, from now till the end of my life, there's this voice of the inner critic, there's the worrier, there's this part of me that just, you know, won't shut up. And so, you know, I like to tell my mind, thank you for sharing, you can be quiet now. But, you know, if you think about your own life, where do you need to surrender right now? Where is there an opportunity for you just to release your expectations, to just release needing to be in control, and just really to surrender to spirit? And one way to do that is obviously through our spiritual practice, prayer, meditation. J. Krishnamurti said, to meditate is to bring about order in the confusion and not through effort because every effort distorts the mind. To see truth, the mind must be absolutely clear without any distortion, without any compulsion, without any direction. Beauty is where there is order, a mind that is not confused, that is absolutely orderly. And there can be only order where there is total self-denial, when the me has no importance whatsoever. The ending of the me is part of meditation. That is the only meditation. You have lived in thoughts. You have given tremendous importance to thinking. But thinking is old. Thinking is never new. Thinking is the continuation of memory. So how do we move beyond our thoughts to a deeper awareness of spirit, to this oneness we talk about, to this place where the me disappears, and I'm part of something greater? To be still and know is really a deeper inner knowing. It's not a mental intelligence. And so as you deepen in your meditation practice, you might begin to feel like a presence around you. You might feel a deep inner peace. Um, You might just feel, you know, that all is good. And so that's really what a deep knowing that all is well. And we really experience this when we move beyond our thoughts. Joel Goldsmith says, there is but one thing to get, and that is a realization of God. God is within you now, and you are in God now. You already have God's presence where you are. 
but it is in your conscious remembrance of that presence which brings it into manifestation. You are already in relationship, but without conscious awareness of that oneness, it is as if there were no God in your experience. I just want to say that again because I think that last line is so great. You are already in relationship, but without conscious awareness of that oneness, it is as if there were no God in your experience. And I think we can all relate to that feeling of separation from God, right? Those times when, even if we've been on the spiritual path for a while, where you're just having a hard time finding it. Like, you know, you're going through trials, you know, you feel God's deserted us, you don't understand why things are happening, or, you know, why things aren't outpicturing the way that you want them to. And maybe you've stopped doing your spiritual practice. Maybe you've stopped turning within. Maybe you've stopped praying. And so how do we heal that sense of separation and know or realize God? And, it, and can you think of some place in your life right now where there's hap- that's happening for you, where you have a sense of separation? Is there a place in your life where you're not living from a place of knowing your oneness and that God is your source? You know, I know for myself that my mind can be a little bit sneaky. Um, It likes to chip in, as I said before. And I started a new type of work about a year ago, and I had to do a lot of things that I really wasn't comfortable with. I had to do a lot of cold calling. I had to deal with a lot of rejection. And there was a lot of disappointment. And they didn't tell me ahead of time that, like, only 40% of the people who do what I'm doing now make it. If they had told me, I probably wouldn't have done it, you know. But I was really surprised because I was so triggered emotionally by the up and down of things, and that really shocked me. It was like visceral. And, you know, I was really aware that whatever button was getting pushed, it had nothing to do with what was happening in the moment. It was some, like, old thing. And so growing up, I was this chubby, smart kid, and I was the kid who never got picked for the team in gym class, probably because they thought I couldn't move fast enough. I don't know, but... um, You know, I I really tried hard all the time because of that. I really tried, like, overly hard to get everyone to like me. I always worked really hard, and I would just bend over backwards to please other people. And, you know, it was my way of being good enough. It was my way of being accepted. And so when I was doing this new work, I just thought I was encountering people who were just really skeptical about who I was and what I was about. And it just pushed that button, you know, because I wasn't having a lot of success at first. And I was really, it felt really personal to me. And So I was shocked that, you know, okay, yeah, you have some self-esteem issues that you haven't dealt with. I didn't really know that. Um, But I was applying some kind of a mental measurement stick to myself, like based on how much money I was making or how many people I was signing up or like some external measuring stick about whether I was good enough. And... I just also noticed that my mind just kept trying to figure it out. Like, how am I going to make enough money to pay my bills? And, you know, is this really going to work? And maybe I'm being stupid. Maybe I should go take a job. And, you know, it didn't really bring me a lot of peace, you know. And so that's what was really up for me for healing was that I believed in lack. I believed that I wasn't enough on some level. And, you know, I really thank God for my practitioner because she just would remind me, you know, to go in and heal that belief that was underneath it, that belief in lack, the belief that somehow I was separate from my good or that someone could take it away from me. 
And so it was really a subtle form of victimhood that I was uh, healing. And my practitioner just really helped me to hold the consciousness of oneness and just trusting God's plan, even when you can't see it. And so Joel Goldsmith says that we often look where God is not in trying to solve the problems of our lives because we do think we're separate. And we go off and we try to bring God into the situation. And we pray from a place of being separate from God. Joel Goldsmith says the only legitimate prayer is to realize God's presence and power. So if I use myself as an example, I should pray to realize God's presence in the situation and to know my oneness with the source of my good. But often when we pray, we're praying as if we're separate from our good, like it's something out there, like my good is outside of me. Um, It's kind of like a bring this thing to me that I don't have kind of a prayer. And what we really want to do instead is to pray knowing God is within all of it. So we might use words like, God is my supply, all God has is mine, all the activity, all the business, all the recognition, all the reward. Here where I am, I and my source are one. I am inseparable from my good. But it's really human for us to want to know how to work things out, isn't it? Or to want to know why things are happening, and it's... I think like the how and the why kind of keep us locked in our minds. And what we really need to know is that the higher mind has all the intelligence it needs to solve what we call the issues of our life. And what we need to know is that God is right where we are in everything just as it is. And then if we know that, we're given the strength to get through it and eventually to see the good. And when we know that our true nature is eternal and that we're one with spirit, anything that's happening is really for our growth. Um, When I think about the beauty of the journey of starting this new work for me, it's like, you know, God knew I had some beliefs about myself that really didn't serve me anymore. I didn't know that, but God knew that. So I had to go through this experience. Because you know what? We're not going to change just through thinking about things. We have to go through the emotional experience of realizing that we're out of alignment. And so I'm really grateful for that experience now, even though it wasn't fun, you know, Um, a lot of tears in that one. But I just ask you to consider, like, in your own life, is there a place where you're being called to let go of a sense of separation, to know your oneness, to let go of some belief, to find better self-esteem, whatever it is for you, is there some place that you're called to do that? You know, so when we be still, we surrender, we let go, We cultivate the silence, the stillness within us, the inner voice. When we know we are receptive to God's presence and to knowing our oneness and really cultivating it. And finally, that be still and know that I am God. You know, metaphysically, I am is the Christ consciousness. I think Ernest Holmes would say it's that thing called you. And I remember I used to be confused about this whole I am idea. Like I used to think, you know, okay, God's this white guy on a throne and be still and know that I am God means that he's mad. So like be still and know that I am God, you know. But I think that's that's not really what it meant, but that's what I used to think it meant. And in our movement, we often think of I am as whatever, um, it's our word, it's whatever we put behind the I am. So I am prosperous, I'm happy, I'm abundant, or I'm broke, I'm sad, I'm messed up, you know. But I also think that um, there's a deeper 
invitation in the be still and know that I am God. And that is really an invitation to embrace the Christ consciousness as our lives, to really embrace that place within ourselves where we deeply know God is our life. Goldsmith says when we live from this I am, the only prayer we really need to have is for the realization of this oneness because God will automatically express our needs for us, whether it's job, food, relationship, whatever it is. God already knows it. Ernest Holmes in The Science of Mind says, There is no mediator between God and man except Christ. Christ means the truth about ourselves. So if we have to make a choice and feel we do not know which or what to choose, we must be still in our own consciousness and know that the spirit within us knows which of these ways is right and the most constructive way and will guide us. The highest mental practice is to listen to this inner voice and to declare its presence. The greater a man's consciousness of this indwelling I am, the more fully he will live. So Ernest Holmes calls us to this higher mental practice of listening to the inner voice and declaring its presence to living a fuller life. You know, it's a new year. You know, new year, new possibilities. It's a great time to live life more deeply. And, you know, I I do coaching now. That's part of what I do. And in coaching, we always say, what will you do and when will you do it? And so you're really in a perfect place to deepen here at Bodhi. You know, Bodhi's really about love, it's about deepening, it's about acceptance, and, um, you know, we have some sample classes this afternoon if you're thinking about doing something, but I just really invite you to take this invitation to go deeper, to make a commitment to it, to make a commitment to yourself, wherever spirit is calling you to go deeper, to really make the commitment to be still, to surrender, to let go, to be in your spiritual practice, to really know, to be receptive to God's presence, to know your oneness in spite of what's outpicturing in your life, and to really know that I am God, to deeply know God is your life, the Christ consciousness, this thing called you, to let it express through you. You know, I believe more deeply all the time that we just need to be in our practice. It's like we can talk about it all the time, but we just need to be in our practice, and that's really what makes the difference for our lives. So I just invite you to really commit to that. So we're going to move into our practice now. We're going to move into prayer. God is, I am, I am, I am grateful, I release and let it go. I am, I know I am great. 